Do you feel like you need God's encouragement and wisdom throughout the week to take hold of His promise to fly like an eagle? you come to the right place. Welcome to Eagles on the Hill. Let's join our host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. Hey, people, I am your host, Pastor Jeff Scheich. So thanks for joining us on this edition of the podcast. Today, we're going to dive into the deep, deep end right away, as it were. We're going to tackle the topic of slavery and the Bible because, well, you ask me. Uh, we got some listeners who wrote to eaglesonthehill211 at gmail.com and said, hey, can you tackle this topic of what the Bible says about slavery? And uh, it is a certainly very sensitive uh, topic, uh, a topic that is easily can be easily misunderstood. So I'd ask that you uh, listen carefully, and hopefully I do a decent job of describing what the Bible says about slavery. To start off with, we need to understand that slavery, uh, the word slavery can mean many different things. And in the United States, our connotation, our immediate thought of slavery has to deal with the uh, and slavery uh, of people who were kidnapped in Africa by fellow Africans, put onto slave ships and brought across the Atlantic, the transatlantic slave trade, sold here in the United States, slavery based on their race, sold, uh, uh, oftentimes under uh, horrible conditions. Uh, so it was just a uh, very ungodly, very terrible institution that uh, thankfully has been eliminated here in the United States. Although uh, we have other forms of slavery now that we still need to work on, but that's maybe for another day. So what we wanna deal with is as we talk about slavery in the Bible, to understand that slavery in the Bible was different than the slavery we think of here in the United States. That's number one. Number two, slavery has been in existence for uh, all of human history, uh, not in Genesis one and two with Adam and Eve in the garden, but basically since that time, slavery has been a part of human existence because humanity has not been kind to one another. Uh, and so uh, just challenges have existed throughout history. What the Old Testament did is put some limits on the practices of the peoples of that day. So for instance, in another, this is another area where old, the Old Testament did that. We often hear of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth kind of thing. Uh, that was a limitation on the revenge that was common of that day. It would be common in that day for someone to uh, poke a neighbor's eye out and then for the neighbor to come and poke two of my eyes out and then for my relatives to go and take four people of my neighbor's clan and cut off their heads, and for my neighbor's clan to come back and then kill 20 of my clan, and on and on it would escalate. And so that law of an eye for an eye was designed to limit revenge. In the same way, the uh, teachings about slavery in the Old Testament times were designed to limit some of the damage that uh, was part of culture at that time. So for instance, God uh, allowed Israelites to be enslaved to one another. What did that typically mean? How did that typically come to be? Well, it wasn't a racial thing because it was Israelites enslaving one another. What it was, was one Israelite um, out of money, unable to pay off debts, voluntarily becoming the slave of another Israelite for a certain limited period of time in order to pay off those debts. That was what slavery was between the Israelites. And they would have to be released at the end of that period of time, typically 
uh, about six years, maybe, they'd be released and they could not be sent away empty-handed. They had to be sent away with the capacity to be able to care for themselves, uh, to be able to provide for themselves. In addition, the Old Testament envisions slavery happening when the Israelites conquered foreign nations as they went into the land of Israel, what became the land of Israel, the promised land. Well, that's, and they could enslave those uh, non-Israelites for life. That sounds, on its surface, pretty terrible. Well, let's think about that. What were those people doing in the land before Israel got there? Why did God have Israel go and conquer those people? Well, typically, those cultures were very depraved. The specific depravity that Scripture talks about is the sacrifice of children in the fires to their gods. So in other words, they would have children, and then they would sacrifice those children alive, burn them alive in the fires to their gods. That type of religious practice was called detestable in the Old Testament. You can well imagine why. So what is the appropriate punishment for someone who burns their child in the fire alive? If that were to happen today in the United States, someone burned their child alive in a fire and killed them, what would be the punishment for that person? Well, it might be life in prison, or it might be the death penalty, depending on which state you are part of here in the United States. God said the penalty could be slavery for life in those cases. So what's kind of the difference between slavery, life, imprisonment? It's kind of, you can kind of see how they're tantamount to being almost one and the same. It's not exactly the same, but you can kind of see uh, where that's going, where that came from. All right. So that's the Old Testament. Let's continue, though, with the Old Testament and what the Old Testament would say about, is there any clues there about what it would say, how it would view, how God would view the transatlantic slave trade that took place here in the United States? Is it the same? Would God have allowed that to take place? Let's take a look at a particular passage. Exodus chapter 21. God says, anyone who kidnaps someone who is to be put to, is to be, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Does that not sound like the transatlantic slave trade? I am sure that this verse was not read in many Southern churches prior to the Civil War, would you think? Because it clearly prescribes the death penalty for the kidnappers who were doing that work in Africa, but by extension, the death penalty for those who were buying and selling human beings who have been kidnapped here in the United States. God, apparently, according to this verse, would not have allowed what went on here in the United States, would not have allowed the kind of slavery that happened here, where whole, a whole race of people uh, was uh, treated just horribly, terribly for uh, so many hundreds of years, all right? So uh, that's a verse in the Old Testament that I think is uh, very important for us to know. Now, what about the New Testament? Does the New Testament talk about slavery? Well, in fact, it does. And uh, there are some verses that I would say, at least initially, maybe even finally, are troubling to us. Verses that I wish weren't there, but they are there, and we need to grapple with them and wrestle with them. So let's take a look at a couple of them, all from the pen of St. Paul. Nevertheless, God's word, even though Paul wrote them. Colossians chapter 3, 
Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. And finally, 1 Timothy chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. So three passages from the New Testament that I think provide uh, us Christians with some great difficulty. Let's take a look. What can we say about them? Well, number one, again, as we did with the Old Testament, the slavery that existed then is not the same as the slavery that existed in the United States. That's number one. Slavery then existed for very similar reasons and uh, came about in a very similar way as slavery in the Old Testament. Number one, voluntary slavery, as you would become a slave to pay off a debt. And number two, captured in war, in this case, not by the Israelites, not uh, God's judgment on pagan peoples, but captured as the Roman Empire spread and brought back to, with, uh, to live within the Roman Empire. These people became slaves and uh, then came to know Jesus. And so Paul was writing to these slaves who are now Christians, and uh, he's giving his word to them that they should uh, obey their earthly masters in everything. What did the scripture say here? Obey their earthly masters. Ephesians 6, kind of a parallel passage to Colossians chapter 3. Obey your earthly masters. And a similar kind of teaching in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Notice, in each of these passages, Paul is not saying, what he's not saying is that the institution of slavery is a good thing. He's not saying that the institution of slavery is a godly thing. What he is saying is, if you are a Christian and are a slave, here's how you should act. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you should, as he does elsewhere for all of us under authority, that we should uh, honor those in authority over us. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that slavery is good. He's not saying that it's godly. He's not saying that Christians should institute slavery where it doesn't exist. So let's not press these New Testament passages further than they are. In fact, there's another New Testament passage that I think is uh, very instructive for us. And uh, uh, I want to kind of get to a cup. Well, some of these are new and some are Old Testament, but verses that Christians have used to say, when we, when we want to answer the question, is slavery godly? Is slavery good? Is slavery God's will? Other verses speak to that uh, more specifically and say clearly, no, slavery is not in God's plan. Let's take a look at some of these other verses from uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Is it possible that it is God's will to enslave a fellow human being created in the image of God? I think not. Clearly not. What about Matthew chapter 22? The teacher approaches Jesus and says, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first commandment and the greatest. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Christians would ask, how can you love your neighbor and enslave them at the same time? That is absurd. That's an absurdity. So, of course, slavery is not God's will. It's not God's plan. How about Proverbs chapter 31? Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up, judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, how can God in the scriptures say to us in Proverbs 31 verse 8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute? How can the same God endorse slavery? He cannot. Slavery is not God's will. And so uh, Christians, uh, both in England, uh, famously William Wilberforce, and uh, how he led the charge to uh, outlaw the transatlantic slave trade and then outlaw slavery in the British Empire. And then also here in the United States, 300,000 people from the North died in order that the slaves might be set free. These are some of the verses that became prominent in that movement. In other words, Although, on the one hand, God says, if you're enslaved, if you find yourself enslaved as a believer, you should honor those in authority over you. On the other hand, when we answer the question, is slavery God's will? The answer is no. Is slavery something God would have us institute and have us continue as a practice? Clearly, categorically, no. All right, uh, let's go to one more verse here. Uh, this verse is uh, from the hand of Paul, which I think is important because those other verses that we looked at, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, were all from the hand of Paul. This next verse we're going to look at is from the hand of Paul. It's in Philemon, written at the same time as the Colossians verse we read earlier. Philemon is a book written to a guy named Philemon. Philemon had a slave named Onesimus, and Onesimus had escaped, apparently, uh, made his way somehow so that Paul came into contact with him. One thing led to another. Onesimus became a believer in Jesus, was very helpful to Paul in his ministry. But Paul realized Onesimus was still a slave of Philemon, and he was sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But look at what he asks Philemon to do in this letter. Let's take a look. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul writes this letter to Philemon and says, I'm sending your slave back to you, but I am asking you, urging you, almost commanding you, but not quite commanding you, but yes, I'm commanding you that you need to set him free. That passage also is a beautiful passage about God's position what the Bible says about slavery. Paul knows that Onesimus is free in Christ. The scripture says, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And so Paul sends Onesimus back to serve Philemon and yet tells Philemon, I urge you, I exhort you, do the right thing, set this man free. That is the position on slavery that we would hold. People should not enslave one another. Philemon should no longer hold Onesimus as a slave. 
and the Bible also speaks out then against slavery in those other passages that we talked about. I hope that that's helpful as you consider the uh, the teaching of the Bible and slavery. We want to encourage you to write us at eaglesonthehill211 at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this podcast or other topics you'd like us to cover. Uh, an important podcast today for sure, and I pray that it was a blessing to you. Remember what the scripture says, that those who hope in the Lord will fly on wings like eagles. Thanks for listening to the podcast today.